we get into this, this sermon this morning and this new series that we're in, um, I, I thought of this story that I think really helps us get to where the Lord's taking us this morning. Um, some of y'all are familiar with the fellows program? Yeah, some of y'all have been fellows. Um, so I was the director of the Charlotte Fellows Program, and this story that I'm about to tell kind of is what predated that. But when I was in law school, um, see what I did there? Very smart. Uh, when I was in law school in Knoxville, yeah, um, I, they were starting the Knoxville Fellows Program, and their, um, their first class was going to be sort of like a pilot year. They, they weren't going to be able to do like a full-on Fellows Program, so they were just looking for um, – single people, men and women in their 20s. If you don't know what the fellows program is, it's a one-year post-grad fellowship um, that's sort of whole life, all-encompassing. Um, how, does, how does the gospel speak into every aspect of my life as a young professional as I leave college? And so um, they were starting that in Knoxville, and they were going to do just like a, hey, all we're asking for people to do is live together downtown and give up one night a week so the guy who's teaching the classes could get into doing that, sort of knock the rust off. And so um, I was potentially going to do that, and they approached me about that. And then as time went on, a couple things happened. One, the director, a guy named Rick, I didn't like him. Um, and so he was very off-putting to me. He is now a very dear friend and a, a mentor, and he's meant a lot to me in my life, so he knows this story. Um, but also, uh, Rick was just one of those guys that was like a little too happy, and it was like, are you, what are you selling me right now? Um, then also the other issue was that as they went on, they were actually adding more to the program. They're like, well, we are going to be able to do more than we thought. So now you're just going to need to give us two nights a week, and you're going to need to read these books, and you're going to need to do all these other things. And I was like, hey, I can't do that. I'm leading young life. I'm in law school. Um, so I'm just going to say no. And so Rick called me a couple times to try to convince me to do it. And I said, look, man, I, I said no. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to tell you. And now he's really getting on my nerves. And so then he finally calls me one last time, and he says, hey, look, just do one thing for me. Would you please have lunch with me? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 just please, just one time. I'll pay, you know, just please come have lunch. I'm like, okay, fine. So we go to this place, downtown Knoxville, called the Sunspot. And uh, I was preparing myself. I went in with my defenses up. I was ready to have to, like, shoot down all of his uh, salesmanship and trying to get me to do the program again. And that's not what happened at all. What happened was uh, something that I never expected to happen. He sits across the table from me, and after we say hello, the first thing he does is he pulls out this high school yearbook of his, and he opens it, and he says, do you know that guy? And the picture that he pointed to was my dad. And the reason that's significant is because at that time, my dad and I were estranged. He and my mom got divorced when I was three very rocky relationship with he and I, and we didn't have much going on there. And so what happened is that conversation unfolded was Rick laid the groundwork for uh, reconciliation between my dad and I and laid the groundwork for the Lord to begin to get in there and undo and, and heal a lot of the stuff that had been done in that relationship that honestly at the time I didn't even realize the extent of what all was in there because of that. So I go into this conversation thinking that this guy needs something from me, thinking that he's going to try to sell me something to help himself. And what he really did was he, he asked for something from me, but it was all to just to set the table for him to give me something. And, um, and that's who Jesus is. Um, and this series that we're in now is called uh, Be Curious uh, in Search of the Real Jesus. And so the idea is that 
um, even those of us who are following Jesus, even those of us who know Jesus, we just carry around a lot of baggage, a lot of baggage, a lot of images, a lot of impressions of who we think Jesus is um, that are incorrect, that are wrong. And uh, some of us have had a lot of damage done to us in Jesus' name. Some of us may not have had a lot of damage done, but we just have, even by well-meaning people, we have a lot of wrong pictures of who he is. We kind of have this like, you know, God is this like Santa Claus, mildly senile, nice old man up in the sky that feeds the ducks. Um, or what else, whatever have you, um, that's just not who God is. And so um, what we're doing now is we are going to the source. We're going to the very words, the very actions, the very interactions of Jesus with these people. And we're seeing uh, across these weeks, Jesus meet these people for the first time and to see how he surprises them. Jesus was very surprising. Um, he was very um, not status quo and not the norm in the ways that people thought about who God was and the ways that people thought about what God wanted from them. And so this first story that we're going to get into today is this encounter of Jesus with Peter. And it's, it's kind of a first meeting, kind of not. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, who's reading scripture for us this morning? Hey, Jesse, come on up. As Jesse's coming up, um, you know, the, the theme of where we're going today is uh, a lot of us are in a place where we think that um, Jesus needs something from us, that he needs us to be a good boy or a good girl or to give him our money or to uh, sit in these chairs to make him feel important, that there are people around the world sitting in chairs listening to him. Um, but really, he's, he's not, he doesn't need anything from us at all. He's actually come to give us um, what we were made for. So, Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of the God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And he, Simon, answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come help them. And they sat and filled the both of the boats until they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for, my, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats on, onto the land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesse. Um, okay, so we are watching this similar interaction unfold with Peter and Jesus. And so before we get into this passage, the, the first time that Peter met Jesus, we need to tell you about that uh, for this to really sink in and, and have even more teeth for what the Lord is trying to say to us today. Um, the first time that Peter met Jesus was Peter has a brother named Andrew. Um, there was a man named John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was this man sent from God to uh, prepare the way for the coming Messiah, who is the chosen one that the people of God believed was going to bring 
uh, shalom, was going to bring wholeness and healing and peace and save them from their enemies and make everything new and make everything right. And so John the Baptist shows up on the scene and he starts proclaiming that that man, that Messiah is coming. And so Andrew, Peter's brother, was one of John's disciples. It's interesting, we don't hear that Peter was one of his disciples. So I don't know how Peter felt about that or what he thought about that. But um, as Andrew was following John the Baptist, uh, there was a day when John saw Jesus walking and he told his followers, that is him. The man that we were waiting for, the Messiah, that is him right there. So Andrew and another one of his disciples leave John and they follow Jesus and they say, hey, we want to follow you. And Jesus invites them to come and follow him. And so at some point after that, Andrew goes to Peter and says, hey, we found the Messiah. You need to come meet him. And so again, at this point, don't know how Peter feels about any of this. Um, but Peter goes with Andrew. And what we have in John 1 is this interaction where Peter is brought before Jesus and Jesus says, um, your name is Simon now, and your name will be Cephas or Peter. And so all these names have meanings that are very, you know, n name meaning was much more significant in that culture. And so what Jesus essentially said, the meaning of those two names, is he said, you are named now the one who has heard. But you will be named uh, the one whose soul is hard and firmly fixed um, on this thing. And so it's this kind of mysterious statement. Peter's like, great, man, appreciate that. Good to meet you. Heads out, I don't know what that means. It's like a fortune cookie. Um, and so, you know, I don't know for sure, but I, just knowing Peter from the rest of the gospel accounts and what we see in Acts, I think he was a very pragmatic guy that it needed to make sense and all the kind of theological up in the sky stuff was not really his forte or anything that really interested him. He's a commercial fisherman. And so that's where we see him in this passage is he is out fishing and the way they fished then was, you know, groups of men with these big nets that they trolled and then they pull them up on the boat. And so it says that Jesus is walking by the sea and uh, there's a great crowd that's pressing in. Everybody wants to hear what Jesus has to say. And uh, Peter, not a particularly learned man, not a particularly holy man, just a, a dude, uh, a commercial fisherman is uh, not one of those people. He's not one of those people pressing in on Jesus to hear his teaching. He is doing his thing. He is fishing. He just got done fishing overnight. They fished all night. Uh, they didn't catch anything. And so now he's on the shore with his partners and they're mending their nets and cleaning their nets to put them away and call it a day and they'll, they'll try again later. So when Jesus shows up, um, we know that Peter was exhausted. Uh, he's probably discouraged. Um, and the odds of Peter really paying rapt attention to Jesus and his words are pretty low. Um, Peter is probably not tuned in to what Jesus is doing. He's probably wanting to get out of here and go home and go to sleep. So Jesus uh, shows up and, and kind of this, you know, fitting, fitting the mold of this like religious leader uh, that Peter might have had in his mind. He um, gets in his boat. Well, okay, cool. Go ahead and get in there, I guess. And uh, says, hey, will you push out a little bit for me so I can use your boat? And sure. Um, and so Jesus gets out there and that kind of creates some space for him. Also, you know, the waters sort of creates a little amphitheater and he's teaching these crowds. And then um, when it's over, Jesus comes to Peter and Peter's like, okay, great, more. Uh, what do you want now? And Jesus says, 
I want you to put out your nets and have a catch. And I was trying to think of what this would be like. And I think the closest thing I could come up with was like somebody that's very well respected, but um, they mean well, but maybe has no idea what they're talking about. So like if a former president, like if, um, if the first President Bush was still alive, kind of like him in his later years coming up and saying, I'd really like for you to go and put your nets in the water and go fish one more time. And you're like, wow, I really respect you um, because of the position that you've held. But now I know for sure that you have no idea what you're talking about. But in order to humor you, because I do respect you, I will do that. So, I mean, just think about like somebody that, you know, I mean, he, he clearly respected Jesus um, because of his interactions with him. And so he's like, okay, great. I'll, I'll humor this guy. Um, I, I'm sure it was the last thing that he wanted to do. And so he gets in the boat with Jesus right after they've cleaned the nets, and they're going out right at the absolute wrong time to catch fish. So I'm sure he was really pumped about this. And, um, and I just want to stop here and ask, um, is that how you see Jesus? Because that's, that's where a lot of people are, is Jesus is this um, respectable, he's a good man, he's this religious leader, um, religious teacher, teaching people to love and do good things, but he is totally out of touch with your everyday life. He's totally out of touch with the way that the world really works. And so when he asks you to do things like be a good boy, come to church, put a little money in the offering plate, be nice to people, don't cuss, don't have premarital sex, don't smoke cigarettes, you're like, man, I, I love you. You're such a nice guy, but like, please, like you have no idea what life is really all about. Is that where you are? Because that might not have been far from where Peter is at this point. And, you know, I just want to stop here, too, and, and recognize that Jesus' love for Peter, Jesus' love for you and I, um, is not reactionary. It has nothing to do with what Peter can bring to the table. It has nothing to do with how Peter received him or responded to him. Think about this. Peter, I mean, if you're going to have 12 guys carry on your message that you, you think is going to change the world, he would not have been one of your first choices. And, and when he goes out to the, you know, when Jesus is walking along the sea, I mean, Peter was not um, really even paying attention to what he had to say. It's not like Jesus was finding people in the crowd of like, oh, you got here early, you got your notes ready, like you have a promising future. Jesus' love is, he is always initiating he decided to love Peter. He decided to set his affections on Peter. He decided to set his affections on you and I. And it has nothing to do with our moral superiority or our wisdom or how great we are at our jobs or how attractive we are or anything like that. Jesus' love is never reactionary. He always initiates. And so in this place... Um, Peter humors Jesus, and they go out onto the water again. They go out to the deep to have this um, attempt at fishing one more time. And, of course, uh, now what is about to be revealed is that Jesus is not senile. <laughs> Jesus is not this well-intentioned man who is out of touch with reality. Jesus is very wise. He is very sharp and everything he does has purpose. Every word that he says has purpose. 
And he has come for Peter because what Peter doesn't know yet is that he is fishing for Peter. And he's about to catch him. And he's been fishing for him the whole time. And so they go out on the water, and when they're bringing these nets up, all of a sudden there is the power of God. The abundance of Jesus' blessing is crushing and crippling and overwhelming. And, and I would love to just kind of bend in Peter's mind as the, the million uh, different changes and realizations that happen within like milliseconds. It goes from like, we're heading out. This is the last place I want to be. This is the last thing I want to be doing. This guy has no idea what he's talking about. We got the, the nets out. We're moving the nets around. And then all of a sudden, we pull the nets up and, whoa, there's some weight to this. Like, hey, maybe there's something there. And then all of a sudden, we see that, um, oh, there's a lot of fish here. And then it's like the excitement of, great, like fish jackpot. And then all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, whoa no, 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 this isn't just fish jackpot. This is like a ridiculous, absurd amount of fish that is intentionally, this wasn't just like a good catch. Like, wow, that was awesome. This was like the Lord put as many fish as possible into these nets in a ridiculous way that very clearly said, um, this is not natural. Someone, something is happening here. There's a supernatural force working right now. And so it goes from this like ka-ching to like amazement to overwhelming awe to overwhelming fear. Because if, if this is what I'm seeing in these nets, then what does that mean about you, the man who's sitting just a few feet from me? And so then Peter goes into this intense fear of just um, the, whoever Jesus, like at this point, Peter probably does not have a fully formed picture of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, fully God, fully man. But what he does know at this point because of what he's just witnessed is this is a man from God. This man has the power of God. And this is God, the living God, speaking to me through this man. The living God has come for me. He's gotten past my defenses. He's gotten past my guards. He's in the throne room, and he is staring at me into my soul. And there is nothing between me and him. And it is absolutely terrifying. And it is everything that my heart was made for. Like when I was thinking about this in natural terms, the closest equivalent I have to this kind of feeling is, is like um, when you are in the presence, if you were to be in the presence of a ferocious wild animal um, that is also beautiful and there's no cage in between you. And you're like, at the same time, I wanna run away and get even closer because I'm terrified and I'm so mesmerized and it's so beautiful and I want more and I can't be here because I'm terrified and it's just all of this at once. That's what it's like to encounter the living God. And so right now, if Jesus for you is um, this really sweet guy who likes to put on Christmas pageants and that's it, then you haven't encountered the real Jesus yet because there's always, always fear. Because you have, when you encounter the living Jesus, you've encountered the living God. And there is always fear. It is coupled with love. It's coupled with his encouragement. It's coupled with him speaking tenderly to you to tell you that he has come not to ruin you, not to bring his wrath upon you, but to save you and love you and bring you to himself. But that, that there is always an element of fear there. And Jesus knows this. He sees it. Um, and, and he knows, too, that it's not just the awe. It's not just the awe of who God is that brings the fear. It's the, the understanding now for the first time ever, the deepest self-awareness that Peter's ever experienced of who he is. 
we cannot have self-awareness if it's not in the presence of the living God. Because when we're in the presence of the living God, real self-awareness says, I am undone. Because I am a sinner. Because the God of the universe that made me is staring at me and I have not lived the way that he has called me to live. I have been self-absorbed. I've been wicked. I've been perverted. Like my whole life has been about me and what I can get. And I've cared two cents about what he says and what he wants for me, the one who made me. And so that's where Peter was in this place, and Jesus speaks into this place and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, why? Because Jesus is not threatened by Peter's sin. Jesus Jesus is not afraid to get Peter's sin on him. Jesus actually was so immersed in, in the sin of humanity Um, He was born through a sinful birth canal into a sinful world where sin was on him all the time. And he was going to the cross where sin was literally on him uh, so that he could take our punishment in our place. So Jesus is not threatened by your sin or my sin or Peter's sin. Jesus is not that fragile. That's really when when I treat God differently because of my sin, when I say something or do something or think something that is wrong or sinful, and then I want to put some distance between me and God, um, what I'm actually saying is I think you are weak, God, because you can't handle this. And I'm, it's a lot of pride, really. Um, it's that I'm, I'm so special in my awfulness that it's too much for the God of the universe. But that's not reality. Um, and, you know, another thing that's so scary about this is we, we've never known anything like this. We've never known love like this until we've encountered Jesus because no one else treats us like this. Everyone else treats us according to what we deserve and what we've done. Um, but this Jesus who comes and says, I know who you are, I see you, and I'm not threatened, don't be afraid, that's new. And it's like water in the desert. It's, it's what we are dying for. Uh, that we've never experienced until we experience it through him. And so now um, Peter has been caught. Jesus has been fishing for him the whole time. And now that prophetic statement from the first interaction makes a lot more sense. And it's going to continue to make more sense as we see through the end of Peter's life. Is, hey, you were one who heard. Like you heard about Jesus. You heard your brother say, hey, we, this guy, he might be, pre- he might be something special. Um, you hear what other people say about me, but now you're one who's experienced and your soul is now firmly fixed on this reality that changes everything. There's nothing, like when you have an encounter with the God of the universe like that, there's nothing that can undo that. Like you are now changed forever. There is, there's no going back from that. Now everything is different. That becomes the defining moment. That becomes the lens through which you see the rest of the world and the rest of your existence in the world when you encounter the living God in the way that Peter did here. And that is, that's my prayer for all of us. That's my hope for all of us is do you know what that's like? And if you don't, I'm praying that the Lord meets you even today, right now, or later today in the silence of your own heart and your own space by yourself. Um, But that is what we all desperately need is to experience the love and the power of God like that. That's what changes somebody's life. And I know 
that um, a lot of us have either, and it happens to me too, but like I know that a lot of us either have never experienced that or we've forgotten that, that that's who God is. By the way, that we think about um, even like coming and being a part of corporate worship. It's like, oh, yeah, I haven't been in a while. Like, oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, God, about that. It's like, man, wow, you're so lost because he doesn't need you, right? Like, he doesn't need you to be here. This is for you. He's setting you up. It's like, it's like Jesus getting in Peter's boat. Like, he didn't ask Peter to go fishing because he needs some fish. He asked Peter to go fishing so that he could give Peter everything. And when he meets us here, that's what he's doing. So it's not like, oh, sorry, bro, like, overslept again. It's like, look, man, you have no idea who Jesus is. Or if you do, you've been, you've forgotten. Because that is not at all who he is. And when he invites you here, when he invites you into all the things that he invites us to, is to give us life. You know, think about um, another way to state the, the greatest commandments in terms of this story is um, the greatest commandments are to be caught by Jesus and to bring others around Jesus so he can catch them too. You know, to love God with everything that we have and everything that we are and to love other people the way that Jesus has loved us. Like, those are commands from God. But again, those are not commands to make God feel important. Those are commands because that is what sets us up to receive life and freedom and joy and everything we were made for from him. That's why he calls us to these things. That's why he calls us to anything that he calls us to because he's, he's not, he doesn't need something from us. I want to say that again. Like, God does not ever, ever need anything from you, ever. Like, the world is not going to fall apart uh, if your attendance record in worship is spotty or uh, you don't have time in the word every day or you don't give enough money. Like, God doesn't need you ever or me. If I never preach another sermon and stop pastoring, like, he's going to be okay. <laughs> and he's going to, you all are going to be okay. Um, he doesn't need us because Jesus never comes. Whenever Jesus comes into your life, he never comes to take. He always comes to give. That is, that is I mean, if you don't remember anything else that I say this morning, remember that. Jesus never comes to take from you. He only comes to give. To be caught by Jesus um, and to bring others to be caught by Jesus. And, you know, that's our, that's our vision statement. To be set free and to set others free. And you look, uh, if you want to know if, if that is uh, as good as, as God says it is, um, just Peter testifies to the truth of that. Look at, it, look at his life. Look at his response. The last verse. He just had the, the greatest windfall of his entire life times a thousand and he just left it there. Hey, that crowd, y'all can have those fish, man. I don't care anymore. Like, I've seen something else. I've experienced someone else. And I want to go where he's going. He has spoken to me. He has showed me things that I've never seen before. He's awakened places in my heart that I didn't even know were there because they've been buried so deep. I'm just going where he's going. And so that's our invitation as we... <laughs> As we start this series, um, as we continue to follow Jesus as a people, um, to know that that is who he is. And, and what we need more than anything is a hunger for more of him. Because what he fills us with 
is what we were made for. What he fills us with is, is far, far surpassing. I mean, think about this. Part of why Jesus allowed this, this miraculous catch of fish is to show Peter, you're, you don't know your own heart the way you think you do. You don't know your own desires. I'll give you your desires. Look, look at this. I'll give you all the fish you want. That's not what you want. You don't even know that because you don't know yourself the way that I know you. Isn't that amazing? Like, I don't know myself the way that God knows me. I can't trust my knowledge of myself to be complete. It's not. And a lot of times it's wrong. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to get a little street cred by giving you this miraculous catch of fish. And then I'm also going to show you that, you know, when you turn from the fish to me, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're, now we're getting a lot closer to, uh, to what you really want. So um, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that he meets us like this. Lord Jesus, you are unlike any other man or woman who's ever walked the face of this earth. You are so, so high and so, so much wiser. You are wisdom. You are so, so much more righteous. You, you are righteousness. Um, you are goodness. You are love. You are joy. Um, you are the fullest expression of everything we desire. And so, Lord, would you do what we cannot do? Would you lead us? Would you give us new hungers? Would you remove the false impressions we have of who you are that are getting in the way of us relating to you and responding to you and loving you and giving ourselves to you? And would you um, just come in and, and capture our hearts? Um, Lord, if, if we have been following you for uh, many years or we don't even know you, would you, um, would you capture our hearts and... Um, lead us to you, um, the fulfillment of everything.